Welcome to Real Money Talks. Real strategies from the money makers and the world changers that you can use to make millions, keep those millions, multiply your wealth, and build your team. Here's your host, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View, Laurel Langmire. Hi, this is Laurel, and welcome back to Laurel's Real Money Talks, where we are a podcast talking about how to make money, how to keep it, how to invest it, how to work with the team, and uh, get the most for the dollar that you are making. So every day, we come out with a new conversation, and today we're going to talk about one that's just near and dear to my heart, and I think so few people know about how to do this right, which is asset allocation, diversification, and how do you get off Wall Street to alternative investments. So it's what we specialize in is off Wall Street assets. So uh, Scott Arden is with me today. He's a co-founder, COO of Controllers Limited. And so Scott, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I look forward to our conversation. Tell us a little bit about your company. So Controllers Limited. Um, I know you have a big background in entity structuring and uh, just overall financial planning, but talk about the company that you and Mike have put together. Well, really, you know, over 20 years of, of being in the asset protection industry and my business partner, Mike, being in the CFO and financial industry, we kind of found that there was a breakdown between the asset protection side and kind of that tax side. You know, the CPA would say, well, go talk to your attorney. And the attorney would say, well, go talk to your CPA. And, you know, so we found that there was a really a breakdown. And so we kind of created controllers too with both of our backgrounds to bridge that gap that everybody would be on the same page, playing the same tune and knowing the best way to move forward. So there's not just questions still remaining questions and, you know, prolonging processes and things like that. You want to invest, you just want to get in, get the deal done. Right. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. (laughs) That's great. It's so in alignment to what we do too. That breakdown, I call it the lack of integration. You know, the, the lawyers don't talk to the accountants unless the client, I would say, knows how to facilitate those conversations. You know, most people just abdicate their total financial control to typically what a CPA, a lawyer, and maybe a financial planner. I mean, what do you see? Yeah, that's what I see all yeah. the time, right? Yeah, I hear it all the time. Well, you know, my CPA told me to do this. Well, you know, maybe it's <laughs> is your CPA proactive or more of a creature of history? You know. You're looking to grow a company, uh, you know, creature of history is probably not something you're looking for, but more proactive, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So let's talk about diversification of assets. So in your mind, what's the first step? Well, really, you know, the first step is to make sure that your current house is in order. I know you always talk about your current house, but making sure that your current house is ordered. This means making sure that, you know, your current income streams or businesses cannot affect or be affected by your new projects. So let me explain a little bit about that. You know, Dale Carnegie once said, put all your eggs in one basket and watch that basket. I don't believe in that, right? As we always talk about diversification of assets, diversification of risks and investments is really the key factor, right? I mean, investing is like, it's kind of like calculated gambling. Most people wouldn't just walk into a casino and dump their money all on black and hope for the best, right? We would spread the money out, increase the odds of winning. And, you know, really true asset protection, when you think about it, doesn't come by just having all your eggs in one basket. Because if that basket's attacked, well, 
all that wealth, all that pool that you built could be affected by one stupid little thing. And so true asset protection can only be achieved by utilizing multiple entity structures. And it's always best when you're getting into those different investments. So, you know, once the current house is in order and everything is ready to go, that's really when it's time to take on that new business deal to ensure that we're moving forward properly. And so I know you can't like just, you know, share exactly what people are doing. Every case is different, but give some guidelines to what I'm going to say, not an average, because I think most average people don't have it done right at all. But as, as people get serious about getting their house in order, then it's usually not one, you know, entity. It might be three, but give some guidelines on how they start building what I'm going to say their next, you know, brick house, which is fully asset protection, protected as much, you know, as they can. Is it two entities? Right. Is it C Corp? Is it multiple corporate strategies? Just kind of maybe educate first on what these different things are, and then let's put together some building blocks. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, a lot of people that I talk to have just been operating as a sole proprietor. Maybe they were told to put an S corporation in place, but they really don't know why they put it in place. So, it really depends on the types of business that you're getting into. You know, if Going into business in itself is is just a, a risk in itself. So having a proper structure, whether it be a corporation or an LLC, typically a business starting out, I've seen a lot of LLCs being used. Sometimes you'll see an S corporation if it's more of an active business, but usually it starts out as one LLC or an S corp. Now, as things grow and develop, as you get more comfortable with different types of investments, well, that's when we're going to start bringing on those additional buckets, if you will, or companies, you know, to separate out the risk. So let's say, for instance, you've got a consulting business and that's what your primary stream of income is, but you want to get away from you. You want to get more into passive investing. So at which point, you know, we may want to look at creating an LLC structure that allows for that passive investments it allows for your deductions, but also offers the liability protection. Now, again, as business grows and develops, we'll want to look at different tax strategies because as things become more profitable, we may want to strip some profit off into a totally separate entity to not only reduce the tax liability through one, but also kind of build a nest egg in which we can fund additional deals in the future. Does that make sense? So. It could start out as one entity. It could be three, but depending upon how diverse your personal assets, business, and investments as investment assets are, it could go into a multi-tiered corporate structure. And so, clearly, I mean, your company will help guide through that. Are there points where you say, "I'm going to talk just about like how you start dividing the assets and liabilities between the companies," right? I mean. You know, Live Out Loud is really a combination of about, you know, six to eight entities that actually, you know, really divide and conquer, right? So, like, my intellectual right. property is completely by itself. And obviously, I've been doing this for decades like you. But talk about some guidelines of when do people start that division? Because you're also looking at much more management. And I know that your company can help do that. Um, but you're looking at, you know, overseeing several companies and the benefits. Right. Right. Well, you know, I mean, really what it comes down to and going back to putting all your eggs in one basket, you know, if you're looking at different business ventures, there's different liability factors from all different angles. You know, if you've got a construction company and you've got crews and equipment and things of that nature, 
we probably don't want to throw your real estate transactions in with that, whether it's a buy and a flip or a rental property. And then vice versa. You know, if you've got rental properties and let's say a tenant slips and falls, they file a lawsuit against the property owner. Well, do we want to have all the equipment affected by your real estate? And then looking past that, we really have to define the additional liabilities in an active business. So we go back to that scenario of a construction company. Well, the construction company is the one that lands the contracts, but it doesn't necessarily need to own all of the equipment, therefore assuming the liability, right? That equipment could be in a separate LLC and leased back to the construction company. So what we usually do with all of our clients is we do a comprehensive analysis. We really dive in and identify what the client has, what they're looking to do moving forward, and then put together or devise a plan and make a recommendation as to how many entity structures should be put in place, whether it's now or the next step in the sequence. And so just from an, again, educational standpoint, at what point and describe like when they would be moving and having entities held in trust for even more protection. And then, you know, we love this great state of Nevada and there's asset protection trust. So just kind of describe those vehicles as well, because that's right. another way just to simplify and protect. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the beautiful thing. I mean, that goes back to John D. Rockefeller, right? The secret to financial success is own nothing and control everything. Because if you own it, it can be taken. But if you control it, you can do whatever you want with those assets. So yes, the state of Nevada, beautiful state of Nevada does offer what's called an asset protection trust. That's an irrevocable trust. Now, any person, so when you ask about trust, there's two different types of trust. You've got your standard revocable living trust. I recommend that any person who has assets and has children or beneficiaries that they want to pass the assets to instead of giving it to the federal government should put in place a living trust. But if you really want the ability to honestly say without penalty of perjury, I don't own any of this, I simply control it, that is really where we should start looking at the use of an asset protection trust. Now, I usually say that we start at about 500000 to maybe a million dollars on an asset protection trust, but it could be a lot more. We have to look at the different states and see what you know, the different tax rates are and probate, things like that. But again, if the true intent is to protect everything that you've earned and pass that to the beneficiaries, then we definitely need to use an asset protection trust combined with a living trust. Hopefully that's clear enough. If not, I can clarify more. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, and I just find so many people, especially, you know, they don't think what they have is worth much, like even their home, and they don't do any protection. Right. They think so one objection I hear a lot, and I just want you to describe, in your opinion, the difference is a lot of people that you know stay in that position, they think that insurance is going to cover it. So maybe describe the difference between, you know, in you and my mind, we know, I mean, the wealthy don't live on insurance policies. I mean, we have insurance policies, but we live within corporate structure. But describe right. the difference because it's yeah, a yeah. big difference. It's misunderstood, and people like that, for example, that have a lot of real estate that might have rental real estate, and what they'll do is. You know, see, well, I have, you know, I have homeowner's insurance or I have rental insurance. And it's like, that's not even been the conversation we're talking about. Right. Insurance is always a first line of defense, as you and I both know. That, that essentially separates out some of the liability. But should 
somebody, let's say, file a lawsuit for $10 million and your $5 million liability, your umbrella policy is all you have in place, well, that's now exceeded that. And therefore, you as the individual are going to be on the hook for paying off the balance of that, uh, whatever that judgment is, right? That's what insurance is. And so the use of corporate structures, there's ways of utilizing corporate structures to be able to legally encumber the assets. But again, that goes back to the use of multiple entities, creating what are friendly liens against those assets to truly protect the asset above and beyond your liability insurance. Awesome. So let's go back to diversifying a little bit. So how do people start looking? So, you know, let's say your house in order, entities in order, trust in order, insurance appropriately in order. You know, real estate and stock are the typical two assets people, you know, head toward. And there's tons of coursework on how to do those. But, you know, how do you pick the industry of the deal? And then how do you decide how much you diversify? I mean, is it like a 10% across, you know, do 10 in every category? Um, you know, like I know most people have, you know, if not 40, 50, 60% real estate. So give us some guidelines and rules around the space and how much and how do you get in? Well, um, I guess that's really going to be more about, you know, what your comfort level is. Ooh, that's, uh, that's yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of a tough one. To, that's, every person's different and every person's got, you know, that, that certain comfort level where they want to be just a moderate investor or some are like, well, you know, I've got some money to play with. Eh, let's do some high risk investments. High risk investments pay off a little bit more. So really, it, it, it comes down to identifying your expectations, your comfort level, you know, how much are you looking to invest? What's your risk threshold? What can you afford? And dare I say it, what can you lose? But it, it really comes down to what you're looking to get into. I, I hope that answers that question. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think some of the I, things too, you know, because I, I teach so much of this too, is, and I always love different people's opinions, is I always say get into the obvious and the ones you can do with common sense. So if for the most part, you can get into, you know, do a fixer flipper or rental. What I actually like more than that is being the first lien position on a, on a note, you know, and a hard money right. lender where I have first deed my first position because a I don't have to deal with the tenants um, I get paid no matter what you know I like the 10 12 15 percent whatever I can negotiate those are easy ones flipping Wall Street's another super easy one it's a robotic trader right wakes up with the market right. short market goes to sleep with the market so um, it outperforms the market consistently so I think the high risk what I call high risk or even I come more complex has a complexity to it is not where people right. should begin like I love that shark right. tank has brought, you know, equity investing to playing field, but it's always been in the playing field. And I think that the danger, and I'm just curious when your thoughts of, on a diversity too, is a place that people don't diversify or think or talk a lot about is the difference between debt and equity. And right. uh, I think Shark Tank has made equity investing, you know, look so supreme and no, there's very little, if any, debt financing or debt, you know, debt con conversation when debt senior to that what's your you know opinion thoughts comments on any of that yeah I, I agree with that I mean you know taking an equity position uh, within a company is it's more of a secure asset I mean that starting out automatically indebted is a horrible thing right because I mean you now you're worried about where the money's going how we're gonna pay it back all that 
which really reduces the amount of risk that you're willing to take with that money. Right. I mean, that's that, that <laughs> taking on debt. You're like, well, if I lose the money there, I still have to pay it back. But I, you know, I, I yeah. So anyway, when, when buying into the equity of a, of a company, I think the risk, you know, the risk, you're more willing to dive into what you're going after. Right. I mean, that's really what it comes down to is, you know, the, the more you get into this, the more you'll become comfortable with opportunities and the more you'll know about them. Right. So that's kind of what, you know, what, what we've always done is you always talk about due diligence, you know, research what you're looking at getting into, find out what you need to know about it and your comfort level. Yep. So Scott, let's just kind of do a little summary. Your house is in order. Your, the expectations and risk threshold are been identified. You know what industry, the starting step, like what are the other steps? So what else do people need to be thinking about as they look at not only diversifying in their assets, but I mean, diversifying, because I think we're talking two different categories. I mean, two, and they're both in the same conversation. One is the entity trust insurance structure of diversifying and keeping your house organized and as uh, minimal as risk as possible that going on there. And then in just actual assets themselves. So what other steps would you tell people as they're starting to make these decisions? So, yeah, I mean, step one, like you said, get the current house in order. Step two is identifying the expectations. Step three is really the research. Like I said, identifying the comfort level, knowing what you're getting into. For example, I mean, you know, about seven years ago, my business partner and I were interested in the emerging cannabis industry. So we dug and we made contacts and researched the industry and you know, through our business savvy, ended up over the last six years consulting and facilitating, you know, many of, of these deals. So, yeah, uh, it's hard to... <laughs> it's hard to describe. It's experience. It, it know, really, was, yeah, it is. It is. It's experience. You know, you want to speak with somebody who has my experience or your experience. You know, like you've got some large in, interesting things going on in the cannabis industry and you know, actually, you have a lot of things going on, which are my favorite industries, like real estate and the gas and oil and the cannabis, and I have that whole trifecta thing going on. So, <laughs> so you know, getting in and knowing the people and, and, and learning from them, I guess that's really what it comes down to. Well, and I think that is. I mean, adults learn by modeling. It's how I've learned it. It's how you've learned it. I don't believe at all that you can learn this in a textbook. I just think there's just no way. Because the variables of a deal, I mean, we should do a whole nother, you know, podcast on deal structuring, but the variables right. of a deal, you know, I would say, you know, how, how, do, how do you know if you cut a good deal? That's when all parties agree. I mean, there's so many variables. <laughs> and I mean, you and I are going into some negotiating of deals, right? I mean, and working together right. on more. So it, when all parties feel like it works and there's just so many variables. One last piece I want to just talk about. Is just the taxation piece. I know there's part of diversifying and protecting your assets also has a big carryover on the entity side because of all the deductions that are allowed. Anything you want to speak to in the tax side of we can get taxes down into low, low, low double digit, if not a single digit. So anything right. you want to speak to on multiple corporate strategies around that with another protection? Well, yeah. Yeah. Utilizing the multiple different entity structures, if, if we can utilize them correctly through contractual relationships and things of that ilk, we can reduce the tax liability. So in essence, taking one overall stack of cash and creating multiple different entities, each paying tax at their own individual brackets. 
Now, the beautiful thing about utilizing these corporate structures, be it the LLC or be it an S Corp or a C Corp, first off, a C Corporation is a completely separate taxpayer. So if you're worried about making a ton of money and you know you don't want to pay taxes on it personally, we can pull some of that through various different strategies over into a C Corporation and create a whole separate taxpayer. On top of that, we as individuals on a Schedule C or Schedule E, we only get a handful of deductions, maybe 15 or 30 different deductions. We get to take, you know, the cost of living deduction and things like that, but, and, you know, mortgage interest deductions, but we're very limited on the deductions that we can take personally. Now, even though some of the tax code has changed, some of those changes have been in effect, the corporations and LLCs still offer far more tax deductions than us as individuals. Corporations, a C-Corp, for instance, can take upward of 233 different corporate write-offs. So therefore, allowing you more use of your money up front and ultimately paying the silent partners. I say that in quotations, air quotations, silent partners, you know, the government who once has their hand out, but they're really not doing anything for you, right? Absolutely. So those of you that are listening, I hope this has been uh, enjoyable. Scott, any last words of wisdom for them? Or I'm going to send them off to asklaurel.com. So it's A-S-K-L-O-R-A-L.com. Uh, there is a opt-in. You can give us your name, your phone number, your email, and ask a question or make a request. Uh, if you want to talk to Scott directly or any of his team around you know, control issues, asset protection issues, tax issues, uh, that's what Controllers Limited does. So yeah, that's where you can uh, get a hold of Scott directly is, again, go to askbowl.com and just uh, give us your, at least your name and your phone number so uh, we can get you a call back. Scott, anything else you'd want to tell the folks that are listening today? You know, I could talk about this for days on end, so <laughs> because we're keeping it short, not at this point. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you. I appreciate you being on the podcast today. And again, those of you who are listening to Laurel's Real Money Talk. And we will be back uh, again every week with a financial conversation for you. Take care. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Real Money Talks podcast. Your host has been Laurel Langmire, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View. Want to learn more about off-Wall Street investing, tax strategies, and multi-million dollar business strategies? Visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast for past episodes, show notes, and resources. For some special wealth building gifts only for Laurel's podcast listeners, visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast gifts. Do you have a burning question for Laurel? Visit asklaurel.com to submit your question and it may just be covered on a podcast episode. So stay tuned and be sure to subscribe to get new episodes every week.